Hey there, everybody. This is Shelly, your mouthy mama, talking trash and truths on this lovely Tuesday, January 3rd. My doctor called to cancel my um, first appointment with the vascular surgeon because he's got, he's got the coof. Let's say that he's got the coof. So I can't go see him because he's home. Um, yeah, so I'm stuck awake with a bunch of stuff to talk about that's been rumorating around in my brain. As you can tell, I'm a little off today, um, but we'll see how it goes. So I want to talk about something I don't really talk about in my podcast because it's really, it's, it's been on my mind a lot lately. <laughs> It seems when you get really, really sick and there's a possibility that you could be meeting God sometime soon, you think a lot more about him. And, well, my walk with God doesn't look like other people's. Um, I was raised in a very strict, old-fashioned Italian Roman Catholic household. Uh, church was everything. Um, we had statues of saints all over. And I can't tell you how many pictures of, you know, the Blessed Virgin we had or Jesus Christ. I had that picture of Jesus with the the Sacred Heart of Jesus in front of him, like, you know, the, with the, the sword and the everything on it. Above my bed, dear God from like the moment I could open my eyes everywhere I went that picture went with me uh I don't know where it is now I don't want it back it was creepy it I felt like it used to watch me and as a teenager you know certain things you do you don't really want to be watched but there he was but I grew up in this very you know religious devout home you know we we said prayers over food we always asked God for, you know, his help, his advice, his guidance. We went to church every single week. My grandmother put an envelope in the basket with money as required every single week since basically I was born. I mean, I wasn't even going to church yet and she was putting an envelope in with money in it. And she did that until basically she died. And she died when I was 29, no, 28. So she did that every week for 28 years for me. And that was long after I had stopped going to church and everything. And we used to get into arguments about it. Go, Why won't you go? I don't want to go. I don't want to go to church. There's nothing for me there. Like I, I'm just, I had a problem for a while, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so yeah, Italian, Roman Catholic, very devout, lifelong fascination with religion. My very first um, LPs that my family gave me were these children's Bible stories. And I mean, I played those records. There were eight of them, double-sided. They were long play records. So we're talking hours and hours. I played them daily. And I knew every story and every word. And I could repeat all of them. And I knew what they meant. My favorite book when I was four, five, six, was my grandmother's missile. She had this beautiful, which I now have, 
this beautiful missile with the gold um, paint on the outside border. And it was a white, like plastic, thick plastic fabric um, cover with gold filigree all around. And it was just, it was beautiful because I used to look at the pictures of, from like all the different stories because they had like a group of colored pictures like a little toward the front and then in the middle and then toward the back but there were no like it wasn't like a picture book it was a prayer book it was really thick too like three inches it was heavy but i used to look at the pictures and they were classic pictures that you see all over of jesus with children and you know like um solomon with uh with the the choice of the baby and everything like solomon's wisdom and all that that's one of my favorite stories um there was daniel in the lion's den and you know there was um peter denying christ three times and like all sorts of stuff you know the beheading of john the baptist and that that always made me so sad it was so unfair um, Samson and Delilah, you had Adam and Eve, you had Noah's Ark, you had like all these different pictures that were painted and they were gorgeous. And I was absolutely in love with them. And I used to look at them all the time and they just, they didn't give me like this warm religious feeling. I just enjoyed the community and the stories that were in them because one picture could tell you the whole story and it just oh it just always fascinated me and i just loved learning all the different stories and i i had religion class every single day in catholic school and i went to catholic school until the middle of my junior year of high school so we're talking 11 and a half years of catholic school that's a lot of religion classes and all they ever taught about was my religion so until i hit like my late teens I didn't even know there were other religions. That's how like small my community is. And then I started learning about like Christians are different than Catholics. And there's like Episcopalians, there's Pentecostals, there's Muslims, there's Jewish people. Like they told us about Jewish people when they taught us about World War II but they kind of glanced over it so much that none of us really knew what happened. It wasn't until it, they started making movies about it that I started going, there was a world war? Like they literally teach you nothing in school. I learned most of my history and my religion when I left school on my own. And I can honestly tell you, I've enjoyed the the experience of learning all about World War One, World War Two. Um, I didn't even know what years the Vietnam War was. It's sad, but I mean, I I really enjoyed learning all about the different religions. So up until I was thirteen, when Daddy passed away, I never wavered. I never wavered in my faith. I never wavered in going to church or um, living in fear of God, of him finding my actions um, reprehensible or punishable. Because that's what I was always told. You know, if something bad happened to me, 
Oh, see, God punished you. That's what they always told me. So I grew up believing every time something bad happened, it was because I did something wrong and God was punishing me. Not a good parenting strategy at all because it made me fearful of a God that I should have wanted to run to when all the bad stuff came about instead of blaming him because I didn't think I did anything that bad. Um, and I'll explain that because like I said, I was very devout growing up. Um, my father was a very evil man. He was very sadistic. He was sick. He had um, preferences and proclivities that normal people don't have. He was very abusive to my mother. Um, I grew up my very first, you know, four years, I grew up seeing him beat on my mother and he would try to play us against one another. And he was very manipulative and the mind games and, oh God, the emotional abuse. It was just, oh, it was terrible. And when she left, we were better, but he was granted, um, visitation and, um, certain rights to take me out for the day or whatever and to have a weekend with me every so few months or whatever and that was his opportunity to punish my mother by hurting me and he he hurt me in every way he could without leaving evidence um and I was really, really tiny. So he, he was limited in what he could do, um, without causing me physical harm, but he made sure that there were, there were never any marks. There was not one bruise, there was nothing. And he made sure I knew to shut my mouth or he'd, um, he'd take away my mother or my grandmother. And he made sure every time he hurt me, he said, I'm not hurting you. I'm doing this to hurt your mother. Remember that this is your mother's fault. So again, not something good to grow up with, but I never blamed God. I never said God abandoned me. I, it was never even a thought because many times and whenever he was doing what he did, I would go away and I would, I would say my prayers it became almost like a like a not a trigger like a switch like as soon as i started praying i would just turn off all my other senses and that's just what existed just me and that prayer and whatever my physical focal point was that i was trying to concentrate on. So I was unaware of what was going on around me, um, or to me. That was the way I disassociated when I was really little. Um, and it helped, you know, God helped me through that. God helped me through, you know, when people would approach me and my father would hear, she's so sweet, whatever, just a little, just, you know, 20 bucks here, 10 bucks there for him. And, 
it was just like, okay. Um, so I just go away in my head and I trusted God would see me through. He would make sure I was okay. It was not my fault. You know, it was not me. It was not God's fault. You know, he would get me through it. And I was good with that. I, I kept my faith through years and years of abuse. And then daddy, my stepfather, the good one, <laughs> the only man to ever love me unconditionally, the only person to ever love me unconditionally. Um, at 34 years old, he, he was in the bathroom and he heard a pop in his ear and then he was on the floor and three days later he was dead. And my whole world came down and I was so angry. So angry. How could God take him from me? I begged God to save him. I did. I begged for those three days that he was in the hospital and unresponsive and couldn't talk. He could only mumble. And what did he mumble? He told the nurses about this amazing daughter he had and how much he loved her. I was on his mind even at the end of his life and he was proud. He was proud to be my father. He was proud that I was a good person. I was so smart. And he told them all I was so smart. She's going to be something one day. And I got so mad at God. Because how dare you? I went through all that torture. Ten years of torture. And you go and take the only good thing in my life. How could you? I was so angry. Priests were of no use to me. I talked to the priests at my church. God has a plan. Really? I had a plan too. I planned to have a dad. And now I don't. Thanks. Thanks for that. Like, can you at least give me a little hope? Nope, they never could. You gotta have faith. Gotta have faith. Gotta... You're talking to a 13-year-old and you're telling me that I have to continue to have faith in somebody I've never met, never seen, never had any kind of real evidence of, but you want me to have faith. Yeah, okay. We'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. It didn't go well. It really didn't. But I did stay going to school and going to going to um church every week and now we dragged my mother to church every week my mother who wanted to be a nun when she was younger and then her hormones kicked in and that was the end of that um we got her to go to church and i went every week and i would i would pray and i would beg please please make me understand just tell me, tell me why, show me why, something. And I, I never got any kind of answer. I just, you know, I kept looking two years. It took before my mother had a new boyfriend and 
I was violently, violently uh, essayed by my boyfriend, my very first boyfriend. And that was it for me. I had held on to my virginity and this dream of meeting a man who would love me and he would be the only person I was ever with. And I would not be like my mother and I would not keep, you know, getting married. And it would be just me and him and we would be each other's firsts. And, you know, we'd raise a dozen kids and be happy. We'd be good people and, you know, we'd love God. God would, you know, bless us with children and, you know, happiness. And that was going to be my life. And it's a great dream. It's really fucking naive, let me tell you. But it's a great dream. And then it was gone. It was gone. And the boy who did it didn't care. And nobody was punishing him. And I felt like the biggest whore. Even though it wasn't my fault, I still felt like a whore. Because now I'd been ruined. That's what they told me, right? Growing up. Man touches you, you're ruined. I didn't, I didn't consider what my father had done as ruining me. Because I had absolutely no shot at stopping him but I did blame myself when I was 15 because I kept telling myself you should have hit him with something I mean I hit him with my fist but it didn't do shit I was at the time I was maybe 115 pounds and about 5'3 5'2 yeah and I had no no strength like I was just this tiny petite little you know easily subdued girl and i i didn't want to be that anymore i blame that on me you know maybe i i should have you know grabbed something from my living room i was on the floor maybe i could have grabbed i don't know a speaker or something and hit him with it but it didn't happen and I just got really badly beat up and like with my dad I I floated away but this time I didn't pray I begged I pleaded God please don't let him do this please please save me and he did and that was it for me. That was it. Every day was a fight with God. Every day I would be walking along and all of a sudden I just have this spike of anger. And I would just look, look up at the sky and be like, you know what? You fucking suck. I can't believe you let that happen. Can't believe you did. What did I do to deserve that? I did talk to a priest. I did. 
because I really thought maybe he could help me. Maybe he could absolve me and it would be okay. But no, he told me I was ruined. He told me obviously I had done something that I wasn't willing to divulge because God was punishing me. I was wicked. Wicked, he called me <laughs> wicked. And apparently... I could repent and I could be sorry, but in the end, it was still uh, a strike against me. And I was actually told it was enough to keep me out of heaven. I think that's bullshit, but whatever. So I, I argued with God every day, every day. And I got more and more conversational about it as the years went on. I'd be doing something and talking to myself. And some people be like, who are you talking to? Nobody. I'm talking to God. Because I've always had conversations, full-on conversations with God. Kind of the way I'm talking to you, I would just sit and talk to God. And it never once felt like he wasn't there. It never once felt like he wasn't listening. And you could ask anybody that has known me for, you know, most of my life, they'll say, I never, ever have said, God doesn't listen. God doesn't answer your prayers. God just chose to tell me no all the fucking time. I think he delighted in it a little bit. He always answered my prayers. It's just the prayer, you know, wasn't a yes, I guess. Like the answer wasn't a yes. It was always a no. I used to say every time I started getting things together, I'd be like, oh, thank God everything's coming together finally. And God would be like, hey, hold my beer because she's got something coming. Like, I swear, he just likes to just play with me like piece on a chessboard. Only mine is more like the, remember the game Mousetrap? Where there's all these like weird concocted like things that are engineered to like trap you or to cause you strife. That's my whole life. My whole life is mousetrap. And it's funny because I used to like I, I knew a lot of the Bible. I used to read the Bible all the time. I'm not good at memorizing what's where or whatever. But I always remembered, like, the messages. And I think that's the important part. I didn't have to, you know, memorize the verses. I just needed to know the message. But there was one in Acts that it bothered me and it soothed me a little bit at the same time. It's like that double-edged sword. It's that good news, bad news you don't want, but you kind of need. And I remember it said something like we all have to go through many, many hardships to enter heaven or to enter the kingdom of God, I think it was. And I said, well, but, but why? Like he put us here. We didn't commit to sin, And we always have to pay for the sins of our father and our mother. You know, Adam and Eve, we're, we're paying for that. We're paying for Cain. We're paying for, you know, 
um, all the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, the lack of humanity in humans. We're, we're paying for everything. You know, they say God wiped out everybody with the flood. And then he said, you know what? I'm never going to do that again. They're on their own, but I'm not letting them into heaven. Someday I'll send down, you know, something for you, meaning he was going to send his son and we'll cast the devil down into hell and we'll reopen the gates of heaven and you'll all just come from purgatory and wherever you are. And that's what we were taught. We were taught, I grew up knowing about limbo, about purgatory. A lot of people don't anymore because I think they like they decided to put it out of the vernacular or whatever. But that's where we were told we would go. If we weren't bad enough to go to hell, we weren't good enough to go to heaven, we'd go to purgatory and you basically worked on yourself. And it didn't occur to me until I was in my early 40s. This is purgatory. We're created divinely. And then we're stamped with this sin that we didn't commit, but that we inherited. It's part of our genealogy at this point. And we go through this life where everything's a struggle. You have to depend on somebody else and that person might not be the best person. And you might like get damaged from birth and you might face nothing but hardships. And you know, the happy times in this life are very few. And I always say, you know, when you have a chance to be happy, grab onto that bitch and you ride it until it's dead because it doesn't come around often. The same way I don't, I don't hold back when I love people at all. And I love right away. I do. And it means something to me. I don't, I don't ever, ironically enough, hesitate to tell people that I love them. It doesn't matter if they love me back. That's not what I'm saying it for. I want them to know that somebody out there loves them because I know damn well what it feels like not to be loved by anybody, not to be told you're valuable to anybody. I've had people say, and you know, Shelly's sometimes too nice. Sometimes she's too complimentary. I don't think so. I don't think you could hear enough good about yourself to counter in any significant way the bad that's thrown at you on a daily basis. See, my trials keep coming and coming and coming and coming. And I talk to God. I talk to him every day. And it's not fighting anymore. You know, I, I fought with him through my teenage years. I fought with him when I got pregnant with Katie because that was unexpected. Um, I argued and I was just a real smart ass all the time. And I just... I couldn't see how he would care anymore. Like he couldn't care about me if I was all on my own and all these horrible things were happening to me. And maybe he wasn't with me my whole life. Maybe he hated me my whole life. I don't know. I didn't know, but I assumed at that point he did. 
I assume that I didn't get that benevolent God from the New Testament. I got the wrathful one from the Old Testament. What the hell did I do to deserve that? I renounced the devil. I, I never like gave the devil any credence. God, my archangel, Michael, I put my faith in him every single moment of my life because I know he walks with me. I can feel that presence. I can feel that that just drop of divinity that it just gets you through the day and it opens up your eyes to see the things around you that are false, to see the tricks, to see the devil in the different things. Like everybody says, oh, the devil is in the details. That's not the line. The line is divinity is in the details. Somewhere along the line, somebody bastardized it and made it the other. And it really aggravates me because the devil isn't in everything. God's in everything. Whatever God you believe in, they are in everything. Every molecule of air, every drop of water, every sound that every person makes. Those are all derived from God. They came from him. They're not controlled by him, but they're his gifts. They're what he gave us. And we use everything that he gave us and then some. We don't use it the way he wants us to, but we use it. And it occurred to me that all these trials and everything that we're going through, that was all supposed to be purgatory. You're in between where you work on yourself, where you're tested over and over and over. And I feel like that's where we are. That's where we live. So even though I was fighting with him a lot, I still had that hope that I'd work through, you know, my issues with him and eventually spend eternity in heaven asking him all the questions that I ever wanted to ask him. Because that's heaven to me. Heaven is me surrounded by my family, all my animals that have passed, and basically sitting with a cup of coffee and a cigarette, talking to God and saying, so I got questions. Because believe me, God is, when he sees me, he's going to wish he sent me to hell. Because I'm going to chew his ear off for all of eternity. What's this? What's that? What's this? What's that? That's my version of heaven. To have every curiosity satiated. He knows it all. I want to know it all. I want him to teach me everything. The amount of knowledge that this being has humbles me in such a way that I crave, crave the ability to just talk to him. I don't need him to do miracles. I don't need him to make me like, you know, this, I don't know, whatever the hell my fantasy me is in heaven. I could be a little glowy ball. I don't care. Just tell me, teach me things. Tell me what it's all about. Show me. You know, I'll, I'll do anything. Just show me. When Katie got sick, that was when I took about two, three months where I didn't talk to God at all. 
because I couldn't, I was too angry. My beautiful, bouncy, happy, bright, shining baby was gone. I had this screaming, sickly, uh, nonverbal, clumsy, rapidly gaining weight child who is nothing like the child that I had. And now, now I have a special needs kid. And of course her condition <laughs> is undiagnosable because of course it is. Couldn't be something simple. No, she's got to have a disorder they've never, ever seen before. So let's go around the country and go to dozens and dozens of doctors and still have no freaking clue what's wrong with her. She's 27 years old, still doesn't have a diagnosis. They just, you know, transverse myelitis. This way it covers a whole bunch of shit, but they still don't know what's wrong with her. And she's done. She's so done with doctors and I don't blame her. I, I'm in the same boat with her. But yeah, I, I didn't talk to God for like two, three months because my head, I, I couldn't do it. I had to shut off everything and just become this robot. And robots don't talk to God. Robots don't have feelings. So for three months, I was just this walking freaking zombie. And then I was walking past the church on my way home. And it was open. And it, it was a church that I used to go to with my aunts every Christmas. We would go to Christmas Eve mass. And of course, I'd go to my own church for midnight mass. Because why wouldn't you go to church twice in the span of eight hours. Um, that church was open and I went in. It's ironically, it's the church that's located a block away from me now. And I went in by myself and I knelt down. I did the sign of the cross and I cried for probably about two hours. I know priests came by me, nuns came by me, and I couldn't talk. And they just, okay, you just, it's okay. And they just bring me tissues and I just, I just cry and just cry. And as I was leaving, the, the priest walked me to the door and he said, do you feel better? I said, I feel worse. I said, because I know that he's with me and he still let it happen. I said, and now... I'm pissed because he didn't hurt me. He hurt my baby. And that was the beginning of my really rebellious phase. Of the, I'm going to get a tattoo and I'm going to have tons of sex with my boyfriend and I'm going to whatever the fuck I wanted to do. I'm going to smoke this. I'm going to smoke that. I'm going to try this. I'm going to whatever. Because I was mad. How dare you? And then I got married. And he was all into um, paganism. And so I learned about it. And I, you know, he was fascinated with the fact that I did tarot cards. Because um, that was a family thing. And he was like, 
he was very into, you know, the occult. And so I, I got to learn about it. And being out in Kansas, they have lots of like metaphysical stores. And I talked to different, you know, like practitioners and clairvoyants. And I met so many people. And so I took that on for a while because my father had let me down. So maybe the mother would help. Because I, I hadn't really prayed to um, the Virgin Mary. You know, I used to pray to St. Anne because she was my saint. And when I went to Kansas, I learned about Gaia and I learned about like Hecate and like the triple goddess and stuff like that. Because we didn't really talk about that. We talked about the Trinity like the Trinity. I never assumed there was a female version of it. Then I started learning about Islam. And I started learning about um, the Hebrews and the different ways that they believe and different customs and different rules. <coughs> and then I started learning about how much they all had in common and how all the stories went back to like, you know, ancient Mesopotamia and Gilgamesh and the Persians and like the Tower of Babel and all of that. And so I had all this information and yet still my default wasn't to talk to a mother. It wasn't to talk to, you know, Allah. It wasn't to talk to, you know, the, the Jewish God, even though it's the same God, it was, Oh, Jesus Christ, like, please, you know, like, can you talk to him? You know, like, how ridiculous he could be, how cruel, like, he gave you up and he took everything away from me and I would talk to Jesus. And it was like, I was trying to have like a go-between. I got divorced. I came home to Hoboken and Katie, I had Connor, which I was a lot less angry when I got pregnant with Connor. I don't know if it was just carrying such a pure soul inside me that helped to chase all that anger away. Cause it really was miraculous the way my entire um, personality changed because I, I was so destructive, self-destructive, outwardly destructive, angry, violent, just, oh, I was so nasty. So nasty. Like, I enjoyed hurting people. Because I was hurting. And then I got pregnant with Connor. And I wanted to help people. I wanted to make people laugh and make them smile. And provide a home for, like, everybody. And all of a sudden, I wanted to be the matriarch again. I wanted to be the home and hearth. I wanted to be the comfort to my children, their protector, their hero, their everything. And I set out to make that happen. I changed what I could. You know, I really, I, I stepped up and I, I took control of my life and it was good. It was good. And then Connor got diagnosed with 
um, Asperger's and Katie had to have a major surgery to her leg to um, chisel away an overgrowth of bone in her foot, like a big overgrowth, and to move the bone into her ankle to stabilize her ankle and move some muscles around to like straighten things out. And he did like every kind of biopsy and test you could to figure out what the hell is wrong with her. And he still couldn't, there was nothing. Everything came back perfect on paper. She's perfect in practice. It's a shit show. So I had that going on at the same time. And I was walking through my living room and I, fell to my knees it was like something had just hit me and i was on my knees in the middle of my living room by myself hysterical crying and i just kept saying god please please be with her please stay with her during the surgery please let it be go let it be good please take care of her and I just begged. I don't know how long I was kneeling there. I know that I was covered in tears and like snot and everything. And it was just my stomach hurt and I threw up and it, oh God, it was terrible. And yet I felt like a door that I had closed was suddenly open. And there's all this light. And I was filled with hope. And I was filled with confidence that she was going to be okay. Something was going to, something was telling me she's going to be fine. And I knew that, that God was with me. I did. I knew that he was with me. There was not a doubt in my mind. And I, I begged for forgiveness. And I threw myself down and I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I was so angry for so long. And I can't promise it won't happen again because we know me. <laughs> you made me. You know, I'm, you know, volatile. You know, I'm stubborn. So why are you playing with me? <laughs> it was like, come on, you made me like this. So why push my buttons? Because that's what it felt like. It felt like, oh, let's just play with her a little more. But she went through the surgery and it was perfect. And Connor got the right doctors and the right meds and he was much better. And things got better for maybe, I'd say, seven, seven years. And it was good. We had a good time. We made memories. It was a very happy, active time. And then it wasn't. And now, in a year, I went from perfectly healthy to we don't know we don't know am am i gonna make it am i not gonna make it and you know 
will I have, you know, sudden appearance of clots being that I have all these disorders in my blood that are prone to creating huge clots? You know, will I be able to walk normal again? Because now I just look like, you know, a weeble wobble. Like I literally look like I'm 40 years pregnant and walking like that. Like I don't look pregnant, but I look like I'm like that waddle. Because I can't, my legs are so swollen, I can't get them to the right angle to walk. Not without breaking my knees, but I don't know. You know, I, I need a nap after I get up to go to the bathroom because I'm exhausted. That's not, that's not normal. That's not right. And that's not me. I've always been all over the place, ready to go at a moment's notice. To suddenly be caged like this is for a person like me who cannot be restrained in any way, or I get like, you know, this is torture. Every day is torture. I escape by talking to you guys. There's not nothing else for me. There's... What am I going to do? My friends work. And I don't want to bother them anyway. I got nothing good to say to them. They listen to my podcast because they want to hear my voice. It's weird and yet I understand it perfectly. The thing is, I have had people like Tommy who they go to jail or they meet somebody and suddenly they're full of divine inspiration and they feel the need to come to me and save my soul. Well, guess what? There is nothing wrong with my soul. There is nothing wrong with my relationship with God, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, St. Anthony, St. Um, Francis, the Archangel Michael, Gabriel, any of them. There's nothing wrong with my relationships with any of them. I talk to them all. And I do feel God's presence more than I think is normal, believe it or not. Maybe because I've, you know, <laughs> I've straddled that, that metaphysical fence for so many decades. There's a little bit bit over there and a little bit over here so I kind of have one foot in each world but I I do look for him every day when I'm sitting here and everything hurts and I you know I have arthritis in all my joints and so it's all hurting I I look to him and I'm like you know <laughs> this sucks this really sucks but what, what are we going to do today? Like, what should we do? I got to make somebody laugh. I got to do something good. And I do. I try to do something good every day for somebody else. Because I really think there's too little of that in the world now. We used to look out for one another. And now we look to catch one another doing things wrong. So that that's a mentality I wish we'd do away with. That gotcha mentality. It's it's stupid. It serves no purpose but 
to cause discord and chaos and pain and shame then it's just it's pointless to me but yeah everybody i know like connor's father um tommy they all found jesus oh i found god i found jesus you need to no stop don't they love to tell me what i need to do now oh you need to come with me and da, da, da. you need to find jesus you need to not do this I got a tattoo and I got my nipples pierced. Tommy told me that I desecrated God's temple. And I was so pissed off that I was like, not for nothing, but you and I have had sex in how many different positions? How many times did you desecrate God's temple? You worried about me? Let's worry about you. I'm not the one in jail for life, for murder. You're not like, you really want to compare souls because I really don't think yours is doing so hot. I'm raising people. You're taking them out. So there's a difference between us. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure God sees that. Oh, no, God forgives me. Oh, that's convenient. It's convenient. God forgives you. You're not the least bit sorry because you won't admit you did it. But whatever. And the other one, oh, yeah, God, God doesn't like Christmas. And God, God doesn't celebrate, you know, Christmas. No, because he's God. He doesn't celebrate anything. He's just God. But now Christmas is wrong and birthdays are wrong and celebrating and presents are wrong. It's convenient that when it's something you have to do for somebody else, God doesn't want it. But if it was you, oh, but no, God, God didn't say that. It's okay to give you stuff. It's okay for you to, you know, not meet your responsibilities for you to not step up and be the man God told you to be. But I'm the one that's wrong and i'm going to hell because i give him a present at christmas fuck you i can't and the thing is god knows i curse guess what he gave me the intelligence that i have and intelligent people curse a lot like a lot and he gave me this heart that i got this very breakable fragile heart that no matter what these bastards throw at me i keep loving and I keep going and I keep believing in the good in people. So don't tell me that I'm going to hell for sins here and there and everywhere. I don't think it matters. I really don't. Because when you, you get to meet your maker, he'll see if you still have that heart he gave you. And this world is so harsh. If you could keep your heart and soul pretty much intact, at least, you know, kind of shiny, I don't think it's a problem. It's when you give up the hope that there's good in people. When you give up the hope that God is inspiring people left and right to be their best, to do their best, to be kind. That's all I ever tell my kids. I don't care if you're rich. I don't care if you can't tie your damn shoes because you don't have that ability. I don't care. Be kind. Be kind to each other, kind to yourself, and kind to everybody out there. Don't be anybody's doormat. Like, don't take no shit from people. But whenever you can... When it's not dangerous for you, 
be kind. It doesn't take anything. It doesn't cost anything to be there for somebody for five minutes or to, you know, like just keep your word so that you're reliable, so that you're not another person who disappoints them. So I got no problem with God. I have no problem with my walk with God. We have overcome mountains together, not hills, huge mountains. And nobody else should be judging my relationship with God because that's, that's me. That's my soul on the line. I'm responsible for that. And I think I'm doing okay. Are there hiccups? Yeah, but if you were to weigh them on the scales, I've done a lot more good in my life than I've done harm. And most of the harm I've done, I did to myself. Will God forgive me for, you know, trying to take my own life a couple times? I don't know. I knew he was with me when I did it. I knew he wasn't ready for me. It wasn't my time. And I don't think he would reject me at the end. I think he would welcome me home and say, hey, you know, you did it. You made it through. I knew you would. I want God to greet me and go, so, want to play cards? Something. Like, I don't want him to be disappointed in me. But I can't do the organized religion thing because I lost my faith in the religious systems of this world. Long, long, long before I ever fought with God. Because it's the humanity that wields the religious reins, I guess, that's wrong. They're the ones that want us to punish ourselves and to always feel like God is angry with us. But the only thing I've ever felt from God was acceptance and love. And just this patience to listen to everything I have to say and this ability to take all my anger and go are you done like you feel better and just move on I don't think he holds it against me because I don't hold it against him either and if I can forgive God for the things he allowed to happen He's so much more magnificent than me. He should be able to forgive me for anything. Because he loves me. And I love him. With every fiber of my being. But I will not bow down to these priests. And all the political 
just <sighs> redirection and just lies. Like, I feel like religion and politics are one and they were always supposed to be separate. If you look back at the Catholic Church, they were never separate. So that was my own, you know, ability to swallow the lie that they were separate, but they weren't. They influence each other then and now. But they don't influence God. So I'm going to stick with him. And I will walk with God every moment for the rest of my life and hopefully for all eternity and I really hope he likes my dick jokes because he's going to hear them and I'm pretty sure you know I don't think God's as stodgy as you all think otherwise he wouldn't have made sex the way it is I'm expected to be flawed that's why he made us with free will and I think he loves our flaws. He loves that we're so different. That we're just so many different colors and textures on this tapestry that he keeps creating. I think he loves that. I do. Because if we were all the same and all good, he'd be bored. He'd move on. But no, we're like the soap opera that never ends. So to anybody out there who struggles, you know, with their, with their faith or their religion, you don't have to have one to have the other. You could build your faith yourself later in life. If you want to join a church or whatever, go ahead. If you want to do it now, go ahead. But you have time to join a church. What you don't have time to do is to just not have a personal relationship with your creator, whoever you believe that to be. I don't care what religion you are. I don't care what faith. I don't care your level of faith. If you're devout or, you know, like, man, you know, like it's a Tuesday. I guess I'll be, you know, devout today. I think your intention matters a lot more than the outcome because the outcome is affected by everything around you i mean anybody can mess up your plans but your intention that comes purely from you it's a reflection of you i think that's what matters and i think if you have the opportunity to have a conversation with god why not with your creator, whoever that might be, why not talk to them? Let it all out. All those things that you can't tell anybody else. Those things that shame you, get them out. Ask for forgiveness. You might feel it, you might not. Maybe you have to do it more than once. Maybe you have to repent a little bit more. But try it. I hope this helps somebody. <sighs> I will see you guys in the funny papers. And I love you all.